Hare Krishna. Uh, thank you all for watching, whoever is watching. And um, today we're going to do the first verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, Jiva Goswami, the great Jiva Goswami, the great theologian uh, in his Tattva Sandarbha, written about 500 years ago or 480 years ago, which is the most important epistemological work in our tradition, meaning it gives the philosophy of knowledge, like what are valid sources of knowledge for us uh, and how do we evaluate different sources of knowledge, whether it's empirical knowledge or spiritual knowledge. And Jiva Goswami concludes that our most important source of valid spiritual knowledge is the Srimad Bhagavatam. And uh, the famous first verse of the Bhagavatam is itself practically a short course in theology. So uh, I want to do that first verse. I'm going to tell one anecdote that Prabhupada personally told me. Uh, uh, Prabhupada personally told me that once his guru, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, was traveling to Vrindavan. And so in Vrindavan, there were these. Uh, what Prabhupada called Babaji's, who rather than go out and actually trying to help the world and trying to spread this knowledge so that people don't suffer, they simply stay in Vrindavan and Radha Kunda or different places and try to relish their own spiritual happiness. And so when these Babaji's heard that the great Acharya, the great Gaudiya Vaishnava Acharya Bhakti Siddhanta was coming, uh, they, there was much anticipation that now they would hear all of this intimate discourse on Radha Krishna and conjugal love and so on and so forth. So um, they expected to hear all these intimate pastimes, Rasa Leela. Bhakti Siddhanta heard that they had this anticipation just to sort of jump over basic philosophy, especially the philosophy that we should care about other people. And they just wanted to enjoy this intimate katha, this intimate Radha Krishna Leela. So when, when Bhakti Siddhanta arrived in Vrindavan and began his highly publicized um, lecture discourse for one month, he spoke for one month in Vrindavan on Srimad Bhagavatam. And instead of jumping to the 10th canto, which talks about Rasa Leela, for the entire month, he simply spoke on the first verse of the Bhagavatam. And that was a lesson he was trying to teach them. Don't try to enjoy Krishna. Don't try to enjoy God. Uh, try to serve. And so we're going to do that first verse now, which is, as I said, it, it, it's an amazingly rich theological statement. So following, the, the verse begins with the famous mantra, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, which we now chant before Bhagavatam class. Well, I'll chant that three times. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So now, uh, the first verse of the Bhagavatam, it begins, Janmadhyasya. Uh, uh, it, it, there are actually four lines, and each of these long four lines, it's a big verse, each of these lines is a complete statement in itself. So here's the first line. Janmadhyasya bayat itaratas charateshu bhigyaswarat. 
the first word is janma, which in Sanskrit means birth. Birth. And uh, as in Janmastami, the eighth lunar day celebrating Krishna's birth. So this word comes from the Sanskrit verb uh, jan to generate. We have it in English still as generate, as genealogy, and so on. That's all janma. So janmadi. Adi in Sanskrit means the first or the original, Adi. And so in Sanskrit, uh, when there's a very well-known group of items, you can mention simply the first or the most prominent member of that group and then say Adi, Janmadi. It's, it's like English, etc. So it's something like birth, etc. So the famous, the very famous group of which the first member is Janma, is of course uh, birth, maintenance, and death. That in this world everything arises, it exists for some times, for some time, and then and then it vanishes. It dies if it's a living thing, or it simply vanishes if it's an inert thing. And so Janmadi means the birth, the maintenance, and the destruction, Asya, of this world. Uh, the word asya in Sanskrit, uh, sorry for all this grammar, but hang in there. Asya in Sanskrit literally means of this. In, Eng in Sanskrit, just as in English, you can say this, that, and then as they do in Spanish, it's like that one over there, something which is farther. Like in Sanskrit, it would be uh, esto, eso, and aquello. So in Sanskrit, asya means of, it means of this. And so it means that which is closest to you, this, as opposed to that, which is farther from you. So in Sanskrit, uh, uh, and of course the, the uh, original form of this word is, is idam, idam, as in the use of Upanishad, om purnam idam. So in Sanskrit, this, that which is closest to you, becomes jargon or a shorthand for this material world, the world that you can actually see in front of you as opposed to that, which is, let's say, a world beyond. So in, in, in the sophisticated Sanskrit, philosophical Sanskrit, the, simply the word this can mean that which is present before you, in other words, the material world. And so the first verse says, Janmadhyasya, the birth, the maintenance, and the destruction of this, of this material world, yataha, from whom? From whom? That is, from whom or from what? Does the world arise, exist for some time, and then ultimately uh, vanish? And so what's very significant about this opening phrase, Janma Dyasya Jataha, is that it's the, it's, it's the beginning of Vedanta Sutra. It's the, this is actually, I mean, the first Brahma Sutra or Vedanta Sutra is uh, Atato Brahma Jigyasa. Now then, let us inquire about the Absolute. And then having declared the topic that we're going to inquire, we're going to try to understand the absolute truth, then the very first sutra is this, Janma Jasya Jataha, that the absolute truth is the source of everything, the absolute truth maintains everything, and the absolute truth ultimately is that into which everything must come to rest at the end. And so this is, and so in a sense, you could say this entire Srimad Bhagavatam which consists of approximately 18,000 verses, depending on how you divide the verses, um, is going to explain the Vedanta Sutra, Brahma Sutra. It's going to explain 
what is the source of everything? What is that absolute truth? And so the first, so the first statement here after, after all that is Anbayad itaratas charatesho bhigyaswarat. So Anbayad in Sanskrit means directly. I won't go into all the technical grammar uh, so that some of you don't go crazy, but Anbayad literally means uh, like a direct causal chain or, or, or a, a a situation in which one thing follows directly after another. And so, itaratas, itara in Sanskrit means the opposite. So, itara means the opposite of whatever preceded it. So, anvayad itaratas cha means directly and indirectly. So, directly and indirectly cha and arateshu abhigya, that absolute truth is abhigya, conscious, aware. And and gya by itself means like gyan. Gya by itself means aware or conscious, but with the prefix abhi, abhigya, it means sort of like directly aware. And uh, so in Sanskrit, actually every syllable really is significant. So for example, this prefix abhi, which comes like abhigyana or abhigya, uh, it has the sense of, into, over, upon, uh, and, and, and so not only knowing, but knowing deeply, having knowledge which goes deeply into something, knowledge which masters something, to go over something. And so even this little prefix, abhi, is very significant. So the absolute truth is not only conscious of everything, uh, but is profoundly masterfully and completely conscious of all purposes and of all objects. The word artha in Sanskrit can mean an object. Uh, it does mean an object. Uh, but just like in English, for example, an object can mean just anything that you're aware of, an object. But also think of the word objective, like what's your object? What's your objective? It can mean a purpose. And so that's exactly the same as the Sanskrit word artha. So here in the plural, arateshu. So in all purposes, in all meanings, because it also, and also value. For example, the word artha in Sanskrit means money because the value, uh, like in Spanish, the bolsa de valores, the, 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 the exchange of value. So artha, because after all, a purpose means that you have chosen to value something, therefore it becomes your purpose. And so um, the same word, artha, means purpose, it means value, it means object. And so in all those things, in all purposes, in all values, in all objects, Krishna has, or the absolute truth has, profound and masterful knowledge, which, of course, you can call omniscience. And then swarat, uh, the word rat, of course, obviously related to the word raja, king. And so rat means governing. Like, for example, the Indian independence movement, uh, the word for sovereignty was swaraja. And so swa means one's own. In other words, self-governing. Swaraja just means self-governance. And so here we have that same word swarat, that the absolute truth is self-governing. No one else can say that. In fact, it's well known in philosophy 
that we live in a contingent world. And to say we live in a contingent world means a world in which everything depends on something else. For example, you exist right now within a particular physical body because of your parents and the genetic code they produced and so on. Or for example, we live only if someone produces food. If you go to the market and there's no food because it wasn't grown or it wasn't transported, then you know that we die without food. So we are dependent in so many ways for our personal safety, for our health, for our knowledge. We speak language only because uh, we heard language from others. We exist in certain bodies because of our parents. So in, in, in innumerable ways, we are contingent beings. We are dependent beings. So Swarat means the absolute truth is the one being that is absolutely self-sovereign, absolutely independent and self-governing. That does not depend on anything else or anyone else uh, for their existence. So um, I'll do one more line. I don't even know I can finish this whole verse today. But just then the next line is Tene Brahmadaja Adi Kaviye Muyanti Jasuraya. So Tene, uh, for you Sanskrit grammar fans, is the uh, past tense of the verb ton to expand or to extend. And so Tene means the absolute truth extended, Brahma, knowledge of the absolute, Prida, by the heart, to Adi Kavaye, to the Adi Kavi, the original scholar, the original wise person, who of course is Chaturmukha Brahma. The uh, four-headed Brahma who creates the universe is considered to be Adi Kavi. It's very interesting. This is the second time the word Adi appears. And all these things, of course, should be, we should pay attention to all this. So it's already been said in the opening line, the Bhagavatam says that the absolute truth is that from which or from whom the birth, etc., the birth Adi of this world comes about. And within that, uh, here we have the Adi Kavi, the original person just as birth, it, the, the origin of the universe is dependent on God, so the original wise person is dependent on God. Because even the original sage, the original scholar, the original wise person does not have knowledge by himself, Brahma. He has to be taught. He has to receive knowledge from the absolute truth. And the knowledge comes through the heart which is interesting. In other words, spiritual knowledge cannot be understood if your heart is not in the right place. It's not simply a mundane academic exercise. One actually has to open one's heart to God in order to understand, in order to get real knowledge. And of course, you also have to have a brain. So, Tene Brahma Hridaja Adi Kavaye Muyanti Jatsuraya. And Surya, the celestial beings, are actually confused about that absolute truth. In other words, even if you are the most highly evolved, exalted, powerful, ridiculously learned being in the universe, without the mercy of God, you actually can't understand God. So Muyanti means they are confused. They are confused, Muhyanti. 
And so even the Suris, even the greatest celestial beings or sages, without the mercy of Krishna, are confused about the actual nature of God. And then, I think I can wrap this up here. Tejo vari madang jata vinimayo jata trisargo mashap. It's very interesting. Uh, an analogy is introduced here by the word yata. Yata means just as. So yata introduces an analogy or a metaphor. So yata, just as, there is a vinimaya. A vinimaya means an interchange or an exchange. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what the... Uh, Sanskrit dictionary says about this word. Uh, an exchange. Well, I got it right. A reciprocity or a transmutation. Anyway, won't go into all that. So here, the idea is that just as between fire, water, and earth. Very interesting. The three, uh, these three uh, most basic elements, fire, water, and earth. Tejo, Vari, just as there is uh, an exchange or a mixing of, so that, for example, uh, fire can burn wood. And so that's, that is a vinimaya, that, that is an interaction or an exchange of fire and earth. Or, for example, water can put out fire. That's another exchange. Or water can moisten earth. Or fire can dry water. And, and, and so these three elements, tejovari mridang, they're vinimaya, they're being exchanged or interacting. And so in that same way, in that absolute truth, yatra means within that absolute truth, trisarga, which means the here, uh, the three gunas, triguna, that sattva, rajas, and tamas are constantly interacting. And the result is that, and then you have the result is mrasha. Now, Masha is very interesting here because the word Masha means illusory. So it can mean that because these three gunas, sattva, rajas, and tamas, are interacting in so many ways, uh, these gunas bewilder us. And we become attracted to or we become repulsed by material things rather than being detached from all material things and just focusing on the soul and on God. So Masha means illusion, but according to Sanskrit grammar, Sisar Gom Rasha can also mean Amrasha. Anyway, I, I won't go into all the, this, these are actually the phonetic rules. In Sanskrit, when, when words are next to each other, the last letter of one word and then the first letter of the word that follows it, they often affect each other phonetically. That's called Sandhi. Anyway, it can also mean Amrasha, not illusory. So the idea here is that when these three gunas interact and, and sort of weave their spell on us, that they create an illusion, but ultimately, in a higher sense, it's not merely illusion because it's the power of God who is bewildering us to the extent that we try to exploit his creation. I mean, that's, you know, in other words, the universe is booby-trapped. So that if you, it, it's just like, for example, imagine if a criminal is trying to break into someone's house and when they try to break in the window, an alarm goes off and let's say some kind of, like the criminal gets an electric shock or something. So it's, you know, in this world, people can put all kinds of devices that will punish those who try to steal or break, you know, their property. 
And so in a sense, this universe belongs to God, Krishna, because after all, you know, he made it and he maintains it. And so when we try to exploit nature, nature reacts against us. And that reaction against us is illusion. Nature puts us into illusion. And that illusion makes us suffer because if you have your eyes wide open, if you really see what's going on around you, the spiritual reality, you don't suffer because you're detached from the world. But when we get involved inappropriately in the world, then we suffer. And we suffer from the illusion which is created by our attempt to exploit the world. So in that sense, Trisargo Mrishab, these three gunas, these three creations, these three gunas are illusory, but they're Amrishab, they're not illusory because ultimately it's God's energy and we may be bewildered by it, but the technology is not an illusion. It's a real creation of God. And so it's ultimately not merely an illusion. It's a real mechanism. And then the last line is, which is a, uh, it's a great line. Uh, okay, what does this mean? Um, the first line is, or the first words are, with, with his own abode. In other words, some people think that God has nothing better to do than just to look down from heaven and kind of, judge us or, okay, that was wrong, that was right, reward, punishment. Uh, God actually has his own life. He's not someone who's just neurotically trying to live through his children. And so therefore, the idea here is tamna swainan, which means swadama, with his own tama, with his own abode, with his own supreme world. Uh, sada, always, Nirasta kuhakam. Uh, kuhaka in Sanskrit means uh, uh, cheating or fraud, uh, deception, trickery. And here it said, uh, nirasta. Nirasta can be translated as without, but really it's stronger than that. Asta means thrown, like you throw something, and nir means away. Or out. So, so all deception, all trickery, all cheating is thrown away, is cast out. This literal translation is cast out of that supreme abode and it's cast out. It does not exist in God. So, one may think that, well, in this world, everyone over promises and under delivers. So, you know, here we have all these big promises coming from God or coming from. Scriptures claiming to speak God's truth, but here it said that forever, all cheating, trickery, deception, false claims are cast out. There is nothing but truth. In fact, it said satyang param. This is the supreme truth, not deception. And then the last word is dimahi. Dimahi means let us meditate. And it's, of course, comes from the Gayatri Mantra, the first line of the Gayatri Mantra, which is taken from the Rig Veda, the oldest Sanskrit literature in existence and probably the oldest book in existence. And so in the famous Gayatri Mantra, taken from the Rig Veda, uh, it, it, the last line is dhimahi, let us meditate on that truth. And so here it said, satyang parang, the supreme truth, 
Dimahi. Let us meditate upon that supreme truth in whom all cheating, all deception is forever cast out. And that supreme truth who exists with his own supreme world, which is available to us if we can just, you know, stop all of our nonsense and just behave like good souls. You know, just be a good soul, behave yourself. And behaving like a good soul means realizing that we have, we owe infinite gratitude to God, to Krishna, and therefore our natural position is to serve, to be an instrument. That's just the only civilized response to all that we receive from the Supreme, including our own existence. So that's the last line. And that, uh, briefly, is the uh, first verse of the Bhagavatam. So I'd like to thank all of you very much for listening. It's very kind of you. And I hope... Uh, Hope this class worked for you. So uh, in the near future, we will do the second verse of the Bhagavatam, which is another blockbuster. So uh, thank you all very much. <laughs>